Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Two members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints were recently notified that they potentially faced disciplinary councils, which could result in excommunication from the church for apostasy. Kate Kelly is a human rights lawyer who founded Ordained Women, a group seeking access to the LDS Church's all-male priesthood. And John DeLynn is the founder of the blog and podcast Mormon Stories. Today we're going to talk about the issues surrounding this. Uh, some say that these uh, people, members of the church, are helping to move the church forward and discussing in a public way sincere concerns. This is helpful. Uh, the church has said through its spokesman that the uh, church has to protect the integrity of its doctrine as well as other members from being misled. In studio with us is John DeLynn. He's a doctoral candidate in psychology. He's published research into the problems faced by gay church members. And uh, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's, a, it's great to be here. Appreciate you uh, being with us. Should mention, uh, give USU a plug, your doctoral student at USU. Absolutely. Go Aggies. All right. Yeah. Psychology. There, there you go. Yep. Uh, on the telephone with us is Deborah Jensen, who's a faculty member in the USU Department of Journalism and Communication and a member of Ordained Women. Uh, Deborah Jensen joins us by telephone. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you being with us. Uh, so let me start with, um, with John DeLynn. There is a breaking news uh, as we go along here. Uh, so your stake president I, has been in communication with you, John DeLynn. Uh, things have been postponed. What, what's the latest? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> as some of the listeners will know, I've never uh, met my stake president. He's, he's, uh, I think he's been there six to eight months. I don't know exactly when he, he was brought in. And, um, you know, even though doing this podcast, there's always a fear in the back of my mind that something like this eventually would happen. Um, it, it was a surprise to receive that letter a few weeks ago, just because I've never met the stake president. He's never attempted to reach out to me. Now he's, he's tried to give some reasons as to why. And I, I, uh, I think he's sincere, but yeah, it was a surprise to get the letter. The letter basically said, you know, you kind of have two choices. You can either resign or we're going to hold a disciplinary court. Um, and you don't expect to receive that type of letter, without first at least a healthy discussion. And, and in fact, the church actually says in its own press release about how it deals with members like Kate and myself, that it's only after long deliberations. And so I'm looking forward to that. Um, I After I got the letter and the news broke, uh, I, did, I did email my stake president and say, I'd love to meet you and have some conversations. And so he responded back. He did use the word de-escalate in the letter, which expressed... Uh, seemed to express a desire to kind of lower the tensions. He offered a, a meeting time or date of June 29th, and I'm just really looking forward to meeting him and talking to him. I guess that'll be a week from Sunday. So. All right, so that's the latest on John DeLynn. Of course, we went into uh, everything surrounding this, uh, and uh, you can join us. We'd love to get your perspective on this. The number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can join us at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com, and on Twitter we are at Utah Public Radio. So Deborah Jensen, a member of Ordained Women, uh, this must have been of, of extreme interest to you and, and of concern, the uh, disciplinary hearing, which I think is still going forward uh, for the founder of the group, uh, Kate Kelly. Yes. Um, as, as of the last time I heard from her, she had not received any news that it had been canceled or postponed. Um, and it was very difficult news to hear. Um we are deeply disappointed that 
the church has decided to take this action against a woman who's simply asking the question publicly that women have been silently asking for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, we, uh, we've had a couple of responses already uh, when we announced this program. Uh, let me just read a couple of these responses. Uh, one person says, I feel very uncomfortable with just having uh, John DeLynn, an ordained women representative, on. It smacks of one-sidedness. Another person, uh, Juan Valdez, on Twitter says, are you going to hear both sides or only uh, John DeLynn's spin, as he, as he puts it? Uh, let me respond this way. We are trying very hard to get a representative from the LDS Church on, and we'll let you know if we are successful, we'll have them on tomorrow. Um, though I'm somewhat loath to do this, if we're unsuccessful, I would point you to Radio West's interview uh, with an LDS Church representative from Tuesday of this week. And you can get uh, Doug Fabrizio's interview with Ali Isom from, from the church. Uh, so we will proceed on, on those lines. Uh, so let me, uh, let me begin with uh, Deborah Jensen. What is the goal of ordained women? Uh, I guess it's very simple. You want to ordain, or the church to change its policy and have women ordained to the priesthood. Well, that is one way to put it, yes. We have, the group was started with the idea that we find no evidence of a doc, of doctrine that says women cannot be ordained to the priesthood, and many of the members of this group, including the founder, feel a strong desire to serve and participate more fully in this organization, mm-hmm. we we want to be full participants in the religion, and um, that's the goal, is to approach our leaders and ask them, in the spirit of the Ninth Article of Faith, to speak in prayer and answer to this question. And of course, this is a key you know, to many church members, and of course to church leaders, it's the way change might happen. Uh, you're asking LDS Church top leaders to pray. Is that that direct? Uh, that's your direct request. Absolutely. They, the request that ordained women have made from the beginning is that our leaders pray on this and then on that, and then let us know. And we believe firmly that that this is just part of the expansion, the natural expansion that priesthood has experienced for centuries, and we look forward to that. But there's one of the common misconceptions is that ordained women is attempting to force the church or that we think that it's a democracy, that this simply is an idea that can be voted on. We're seeking revelation, even though the church's own representative, you know, declares what is pretty much clear to anyone who reads the scriptures, which is that this is nowhere in the doctrine, that it is simply a policy matter right now. Uh, Deborah, are you, are you on speakerphone? We're having a little bit of trouble hearing you. I'm sorry, I am on, I'm not on speakerphone, but okay. I am calling from a cell phone in New Jersey. Okay, all right, we'll, we'll do the best we can. Uh, so John DeLind, uh, to, to that last uh, uh, point, uh, the way that the things are supposed to happen, according to you know, orthodoxy in the LDS Church, it's supposed to be top-down, isn't it? And so one of the complaints of, uh, uh, one of the issues here is that uh, some members are too publicly, too stridently, uh, seeking change from from the bottom up. Yeah, <clears throat> and and uh, I think the church is in a really tough position. I I've spent a lot of time over the past ten years trying to imagine what it's like to be in their shoes. But they, you know, we do have a top down system. It's very patriarchal. It's very authoritarian in a sense. 
Um, and and there's a lot of strength that comes from that. I think a lot of the members, I, I think the church benefits from having strong leadership structures. The problem is is not that it's not a problem when things go right. You know, when when somebody's sick and they need casseroles, or when you know the uh, membership is marshaled to foster humanitarian aid. That's fantastic. The problem is when when there are issues in the church that that, that structure becomes a problem. So, you know, in my case, I was a seminary teacher uh, in Seattle when I was working for Microsoft, and I started studying church history uh, to be a better seminary teacher. I was not trying to cause problems. I was not looking to question my faith. But as I started studying church history, I stumbled on this information as a, let's just say, a 31-year-old that uh, in my 31 years of having been a member, a returned missionary, married in the temple, BYU graduate, uh, I had never learned before. So, for example, the fact that, that Joseph Smith had over 30 wives and that some of those wives were married to other men. Sometimes he married other men's wives. Well, that was a huge shock to me. Why is Joseph Smith marrying women who are married to other men? Why was Joseph Smith denying he was a polygamist publicly up until his death? Now, prophets shouldn't lie, you'd think, right? And so that's difficult. Or you, or you find out that the book of Abraham, which we've been taught— is a translation from ancient papyri that Joseph Smith acquired. When Egyptologists actually read that papyri, papyri and translate it, what the Egyptologists tell us those funerary texts actually say bears no resemblance to what Joseph Smith produced, none at all. Um, and and so as a member, and the Book of Mormon is a huge problem. There's 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 virtually no credible scientific evidence supporting. The, the DNA of, of Lamanites or Na- Native Americans being ancestral back to, to, to the Middle East. Um, there's, steel, there's steel swords in the Book of Mormon, but no one's ever found a steel sword. And we know that Native Americans didn't have the technology to make steel swords. There's horses in the Book of Mormon. We know that the Spanish brought over horses, uh, you know, long after the Book of Mormon ends. And so, so members uh, learn about these issues. And they try and talk to their local leaders, but local leaders don't have answers. And so, uh, and then if you try and talk to people about it, too often you're marginalized, you're punished by family members, your wife or spouse might leave you if you start questioning things. Your bishop, as we're learning now through the New York Times article by Lori Goodstein put out today, your bishop might take, take your temple recommend away if you ask the wrong questions. You won't be allowed to baptize your son or daughter. Uh, there are all these ways that you get punished just for asking questions. And so you try, you know, what what ordained women and what Mormon stories both represent is it's sort of we've tried the local level. We've tried communicating in whatever way we could, and we're not getting the response and the support that we need. And so what what happens is you tend to escalate and you tend to put a website up and start, you know, trying to ask questions in a bigger way to get a response. And and surely enough, you know, Mormon Stories has been at this for nine or 10 years. You know, just in the past few years, the church is starting to come clean about the Joseph Smith papers, come clean with essays that are starting to address the difficult issues. And we applaud that. But I think it's a direct result of uh, the actions of, of people online and in other places. And and so, yeah, it's difficult. We should be looking f- for the top for our guidance, but sometimes they require local uh, activity to respond. 
And so we're getting a response now, and I wish it hadn't have come to this. I wish there would have been a better, more constructive way to engage, but I'm not familiar. If you send a letter to church headquarters, the policy is not that they respond. The policy is they send that letter back to your bishop and stake president. And guess what happens then? Then you get in trouble. Mm. And so I don't know how to work with, with the top leadership and I don't, I don't know that they've shown a history of being responsive without there being some type of trouble that mm. emerges. What about the, the central issue, uh, your letter from your stake president, which you provided to the media? Um, he, he, I'll just quote from this, uh, President King. Um, he says, I have become concerned about some of your recent statements and actions regarding the church and your place in it. That includes your recent public posting from earlier this month that you, quote, no longer believe many of the fundamental LDS church truth claims, end quote. I am greatly concerned about the impact these and other statements and actions are having upon the members of the stake. So there's a central question. Uh, You might have doubts and concerns, but uh, where is the place to do that? And and perhaps if you no longer believe the truth claims of the church, perhaps that's best on the outside of the church. So I guess first question on this is uh, why do you stay? Well, I guess I guess it's really important to first ask what what is central to Mormonism. Uh, the church put out a, a a press statement a few years ago saying, you know, talking about Mormon doctrine. And the, the position of the church said that the center of our church is Jesus Christ. That's the center of Mormon doctrine. And, and almost everything else is peripheral. I mean, it's after all, it's called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So if you consider the central doctrine of Mormonism to be charity— you know, charity never faileth. If you have if you have not charity, you have nothing. If you consider it to be faith, repentance, humility, uh, love, kindness, uh, repentance, I, I I'm still uh, you know observe the word of wisdom. I still I, I find the law of chastity to be very important. Like uh, I I believe many of the of what I consider to be the central teachings of the church. So uh, I still I still consider myself a believer in God. Um, I still, again, believe the teachings of Jesus. So I guess if you if you don't think those are the central tenets of Mormonism, uh, you know, then I would I would question that. Now, if we're talking about let's let's take some examples of some things I don't believe. Doctrine is, Doctrine and Covenants section one thirty two lays out polygamy. Uh, in there, it basically Joseph is telling Emma, you know, if you don't uh, start practicing polygamy, uh, you will be destroyed. That's what it says in the Doctrine and Covenants. Well. I've studied Joseph Smith's practice of polygamy, and I don't, I don't believe in polygamy. I don't believe it. So there's a section of the Doctrine and Covenants that I, I openly reject. Now, is that a problem? Uh, nowadays, the brethren are saying that polygamy isn't doctrinal, yet um, it's still in the Doctrine and Covenants. So what are we to do with that? Um, another example is the Book of Mormon narrative, that God curses uh, wicked people with dark skin. I don't believe that God curses wicked people with dark skin. And so I'm rejecting a central narrative point of the Book of Mormon. What do we do with that? Um, and I'll just end by your question by saying this. Most members of the church have serious doubts and concerns. And all I'm trying to do is say, look, uh, I think it's important that we openly talk about this because otherwise we suffer in silence and nobody gets educated. Nobody grows and advances. So, yes, I'm putting myself on the line by saying I have open, explicit doubts or disbelief about parts of the gospel. And if that's a crime, if that's a sin, then we need to know that. But what I hope is that we'll we'll sort of succumb to the better angels of our nature 
and realize that we need a culture in the church where people can speak openly about their doubts and disbelief, where those addressed will be taken seriously, and where we'll be supported instead of punished for speaking openly. Because I'm not trying to gain converts. If so, you know, I've met with Elder Holland, I've met with Marlon Jensen, uh, you know, past church historian. I've asked them these questions, and right now there are no good answers as far as I as far as I know. And so I'm not saying follow me and believe me. I'm not saying lose your testimonies. I'm saying, hey, church, you guys are prophets, seers, and revelators. Help us get good answers to these problems. Mm. And that's all I'm asking. And mm. and until then, we should be able to talk about it. If they can provide good answers, then I'll be satisfied. And then we won't have these problems anymore. But please don't say that the answer is to silence people and to punish them, to take away their temple recommends, to excommunicate them, to shame them. That can't be the way the church responds to people openly expressing doubt mm. and even disbelief. If you just joined us, we're talking with John DeLynn. He is an LDS church member who is potentially facing disciplinary counsel uh, and excommunication, possibly, from the Church for Apostasy. Uh, his uh, blog, popular blog and podcast, is Mormon Stories. And we have with us as well Deborah Jensen, who is with Ordained Women. Uh, their founder, Kate Kelly, is uh, being faced with disciplinary counsel. I think it's happening on Sunday. Could possibly face excommunication for apostasy. We're talking about issues surrounding this. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, uh, more with John DeLynn and uh, Deborah Jensen. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Logan Regional Hospital, hosting the annual Cash Grand Fondo and Outdoor Expo on July 11 and 12. 50 and 100-mile courses open to all riders where both racers and recreational riders participate. Registration and more information at cashgrandfondo.com. And by Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan, open Monday through Saturday until 3, offering plattered cookies and brownies, sandwiches, and box lunches. Information at crumbbrothers.com. Did you know that school trust lands have been around since 1765? These are lands set aside so they can generate funds to benefit students. Utah's trust lands generated $89 million in 2011, and 88% of that money was invested in a permanent school fund. Did You Know That is made possible by the USU Emma Eccles Jones College of Education and Human Services. More at cehs.usu.edu. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking uh, about uh, disciplinary action, that's, which is... Uh, uh, forthcoming, at least potentially, against uh, several members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. John DeLynn was recently notified that uh, he potentially faced a disciplinary council, which could result in excommunication from the Church for apostasy. Uh, he is founder of the blog and podcast Mormon Stories. He also is an advocate for uh, gay uh, LGBT members. Uh, and uh, his action has been postponed. His stake president is using the word de-escalate. He wants to talk with John DeLynn. And we have him on the program today, John DeLynn. We also have with us Deborah Jensen, who is with Ordained Women. Their founder, Kate Kelly, has uh, been is facing church disciplinary action. And that uh, disciplinary council is uh, coming up, I believe, on Sunday. You are welcome to join this conversation if you would like. Many issues surrounding this, and uh, we'd love to hear your uh, take on this. 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, or upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. John DeLynn, we uh, got this uh, email response. 
sort of goes into public versus private nature of, of expressing <clears throat> doubts. The and, and you see it as an as, as a sincere attempt to have the church tackle these things. Others, including this emailer, see it as uh, potentially dangerous to other people's uh, faith. Uh, this person says, "Please ask the uh, caller." College caller, I think she means you, to stop sharing his specific reasons for not believing. He's certainly entitled to his views, but some of us would rather not hear the arguments against Mormonism, and it seems off topic. What's your response to that? Well, uh, I can understand why people would find it hard to hear that that Joseph Smith married other people's wives or that he lied about it. It's it's very hard for me to hear, and uh, you know. You mentioned that I'm an advocate for for LGBT individuals, gay and lesbian individuals. Well, the reason why I am is because uh, I, I read a report in the early 2000s that listed Utah as having the highest rate of suicide of young men between the ages of 15 and 24. And another church publication I read said that a third of those were were, were gay and lesbian Mormons. Why are people committing suicide uh, who are LGBT? It's because they um, uh, feel alone. They feel isolated. They feel unloved. <clears throat> and it's what, what, one thing we can do is just sort of let them figure that out on their own. But if they have a bad bishop, if they have an untrained bishop, I should say, there's no bad bishops, but let's say there's a bishop who hasn't been trained in LGBT concerns. Let's say this gay or lesbian person's parents haven't been trained. Uh, or don't understand the science behind it, this person can get really bad advice and end up in a really desperate place. I just believe differently than than the person who wrote in, respectfully. Yes, it's hard to hear difficult things. Yes, it's hard to confront difficult facts. But um, it's the only way that we grow. The church has taught us the glory of God is intelligence. Uh, you know, a, a very prominent church leader once said that if the church is true— it has nothing to fear by the truth. Um, and I, that's what I believe. And so I believe that people suffer when we're silent about the difficult issues. But if we talk about them openly, then people can ask questions, learn and grow and come to a, 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 a stronger place if they're going to remain faithful in the church. And if they're trying to decide whether or not to stay in the church, at least they'll be well-informed so that when they stay or leave, they're doing it with, with the full set of information or data. And I, I just think if we put our heads in the sand and, and cover our ears, we're uh, not living in reality. And I don't, I'm sorry this is troubling, but there's so many people in, suffering in pain all over the world that I just think, I think we need to deal with these things openly. And it's just my opinion. And, and she can turn off, he or she can turn off the, the radio if they don't want to listen. Mm. Deborah Jensen, I wonder uh, what what you think about about this this issue. Uh, the church is saying that uh, they're instituting disciplinary mm-hmm. actions because they are concerned about uh, you mm-hmm. know misleading uh, some faithful church members. Uh, they might be misled. The damaging of faith. That's I think the underlying concern of of the emailer uh, right there. And and so, yeah. oh, what's your what's your take on that? Um, I would be happy to answer that. Can I just really quickly address your question about top-down? Yes, go go ahead. And yes. the way that this works in the church. Um, we at Ordained Women are not opposed to that idea. I mean, we find what we are doing, approaching the leaders of the church, 
asking them to speak and answer to this question to be consistent with the pattern that is seen throughout the Bible, throughout the Book of Mormon, and throughout church history. Revelation and changes and growth in the church and in the gospel do not happen because a leader comes up with an idea and prays about it. Time after time, those questions are brought to these leaders by their people. This is an active faith, and we have a responsibility, if we have a question, to find it, to bring that up to maybe our local leaders, but this is a question that can't be handled by our local leaders. The question of a gender priesthood is something that needs to go straight to the top, and when our attempts to speak to our leaders privately are not heard, we then have to do something else to be heard. And in this day and age, that's something else is to gather online, to gather on Facebook, and then to gather in person at moments when it makes sense, mm-hmm. such as the priesthood session. Um, and when, you know, the question about misleading people, that is absolutely not the intent of ordaining women. When we um, come up with, for example, our discussion groups, our discussions, we have six of them that we're rolling out on a weekly basis, um, on a bi-weekly basis, excuse me. Those discussion groups address topics such as understanding the role that women play and are allowed to play inside this church. And all of the sources are from church leaders. They're from, we're quoting prophets and apostles. We are quoting scripture and relaying stories from early church history to support these ideas. We're not pulling from anti-Mormon websites. And the question of whether or not ordaining women and asking about a gender priesthood and the role that women play, gender equality in this church, the idea that we would be misleading people just isn't borne out in who we are, first of all. Our surveys have shown that our supporters are overwhelmingly active members of the church. 87, 88% of the women who attended the priesthood session in April or attended to attended church two to three times a week or a month, which would, I think almost anyone would consider that active. Um, we have asked since Kate Kelly's disciplinary action or trial was announced, we asked for supporters to send us messages or statements of how ordained women has helped them with their relationship with the church and what it's meant to them. And we have over 900 notes from men and women across the country, around the world, members of this church who have struggled and wrestled with these questions for years and have finally found a way to feel like they can put their faith and the answers to their prayers to action. And this is the answer. The goal is not to bring people away from the church. The goal is to help people find new ways to participate fully. Uh, just uh, I'll, I'll follow up on 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 that point. Uh, continuing on the top down versus bottom up, um, these are sentiments that I've heard from some church members. By the way, mostly women. I heard this this from maybe just the circles I run in, um, who say a version of this: um, Aren't church leaders supposed to receive revelation from God? Isn't that a central tenet? And isn't pushing in such a public way presumptuous and an indication of lack of belief in that central and important church belief? Yes, they are supposed to receive revelation from God, but where do they get the question? Would be the first, would be my response to that. Our church leaders, we, you know, we sustain them, we love them, 
we believe that they have the best interest of the members of this church and the and everyone else, all of God's children, in mind, but they can't know everything. When you look at the Quorum of Twelve Apostles and the First Presidency of the Church, they're all men. They don't know what it's like to be a woman in this church. So they may not know to ask certain questions. And when it comes to the idea that the revelation, the answer has to come from God, but even President Hinckley, President Gordon Hinckley said in 1997, that the reason priesthood has not been expanded to women is there's been no application for it. They don't see women asking. And so women asking the questions is the active part, and there's nothing presumptuous about saying, this makes me feel less a part of my faith. I want to participate and serve more fully. I'm asking you this question. There's nothing presumptuous about that. There's nothing that says the leaders cannot receive revelation from God. And we, as of this date, have not heard anything that suggests our leaders have asked that question. Uh, Yeah, go ahead, John. Really quickly, if if we think about the Articles of Faith, one of the Articles of Faith says, and we believe that he will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Well, it's been a long time since we've added a section to the Doctrine and Covenants. I, I tend to think that 150, 200 years from the founding of the church, we'll learn some things or learn some new questions, and the brethren will eventually feel inspired to start adding new revelations. Otherwise, what else is there to reveal, like a mission age? I mean, certainly the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, certainly the Articles of Faith didn't just mean small policy changes about like what age women should or shouldn't go on missions. Surely there's doctrine to be revealed um, because the, the, the foundation of this church is continuing revelation. And, and, you know, scripture is very different than a conference talk. We've seen so many conference talks over the past 100, 150 years, you know, uh, turn out to not be what, what the church really believes, whether it's about blacks and the priesthood or uh, polygamy or other types of things, we've seen so many conference uh, talks sort of turn out to not be doctrine. I I would just say if we believe in continuing revelation, uh, it's completely appropriate for members, just like Emma said to Joseph, hey, uh, all this tobacco and alcohol is a problem. Why don't you go to God and see what he thinks? Why shouldn't members say, hey, uh, we have sincere concerns about women in the priesthood, why don't you ask? And I don't that that seems to be a sign of faith in the hierarchy and a faith in Mormonism and in the in the belief of continuing revelation, not an expression of doubt. That I don't mean to speak for you, Deborah, but that's mm-hmm. what occurs to me. Let me follow up with that. Uh, start with John on this. Uh, that's an interesting example. So Emma gets tired of all the tobacco. Goes goes to Joseph. Uh, story LDS church members know. Uh, I think some church members and leaders would say she didn't go on, you know, the, she didn't go to the newspaper, the, that equivalent of, of the blog. She didn't uh, protest. And, you know, it, it was, she went directly to, to Joseph. Sure. And, and that's a tricky thing because, uh, you know, everyone has the reasons for what they do. Um, I, I went to the, you know, I, I ended up speaking to the media for one very specific reason. The letter that I received uh, felt like a decision about a disciplinary council had already been made. It was extremely strange to get a letter from a state president who had never attempted in any way to reach out to me 
to, to say we're going to be holding a disciplinary council. So that's why I went to the media. As far as ordained women goes, Deborah, I guess you guys can talk about why 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 protest and why go to the media. I, I won't try and answer that for you guys. Yeah, good good question, Deborah. Um, well, I would say yes, that is exactly what Emma Smith did, and in 2014, it's very difficult for us to access our local leaders privately. We can't just walk to the Nauvoo store and ask the prophet a question which is what you see so often in the Doctrine and Covenants. But what we can do, you know, and as John alluded to earlier, the Church Handbook of Instruction specifically says members should be discouraged from writing letters to the church office building and to their leaders. They should go to their local leaders. But in the question of this gendered, gender equality, that is not a local leader question. I can't I can talk to my bishop about it for as long as I want, but he can't do anything about it. And so we need to we need to go up to the top and follow the model that, as I said, the pattern that's been throughout the history of the church. And I would um, also point out that ordaining women did not start with the newspapers. We started with a website to make other women and other men who have wrestled with this question to let them feel more comfortable, give them a chance to bear their testimony. And if you go to ordainedwomen.org and read those profiles, they are testimonies of relationships to the church and to the gospel and how people have struggled with it and how they would like to be strengthened and they feel like they would be strengthened with this expansion. Um, And when we, you know, I hate to call it a protest, but when we go to Temple Square and ask for tickets to the priesthood session, when we did it in October and when we did it in April, we didn't start that process by lining up on April 6th or October 6th or 5th. We started that process by sending respectful, dignified requests privately to our leaders asking for tickets. And informing them that if we weren't given tickets, we would do what people who can't get tickets do, which is stand in the standby line. We didn't go there and chant. We didn't have signs. We were anyone who was there, who was present, saw quiet, reverent people standing in a line. The press was informed when the church released their response to the newspapers at the same time that they delivered them via email to the people who signed the letter, including me. So this, this idea that we can't do this publicly is, first of all, unfair because there is no other way to reach your church leaders. I, I mean, if I had a friend who was related to President Hildorf, I would certainly try to get a meeting. But we have been rebuffed and put off in our request for private meetings to have these discussions and have been publicly declared a group that will absolutely not be given any private meetings. And so this becomes the next best option. And at every turn, those options, we have always weighed, is this respectful to the church? Is this something that we are comfortable with as faithful members or as people who don't set out to embarrass the church? We set out to ask this question, and this is the only way we can do it without being able to meet. Let's uh, take a brief break. Uh, we have a caller. We'll ask him to be patient through the breaks. Just a minute. Uh, we have a caller and I think uh, five emails. We will 
turn the program completely over to you next and uh, ask everyone to be brief as we uh, as we uh, go to uh, your calls and your emails. By the way, it's 1-800-826-1495 or upraxis at gmail.com, and you can uh, get a comment through to us on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. Following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Cache Valley ENT and the Allergy Clinic. Practicing ear, nose, and throat medicine, allergy services, and facial, plastic, and reconstructive surgery. And offering hearing aid services with audiologist Dr. Spencer Tejan. 753-7880. Hi, this is Bill McLaughlin inviting you to join me in exploring the music of Artists in Exile that extraordinary group of composers who came to America propelled by the Russian Revolution and then the rise of fascism and World War II. We gave these artists a safe port in a storm and they gave us their music from the concert halls to Hollywood sound stages. Artists in Exile, this week and next on Exploring Music. Weekday afternoons at 1 and Monday through Thursday night at 9 on Utah Public Radio. We're talking about uh, potential excommunications of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. John DeLynn was recently notified that he potentially faced disciplinary counsel, which could result in excommunication from the Church for apostasy. He is the founder of a blog and podcast, Mormon Stories. He's an advocate for LGBT Mormons. Uh, Kate Kelly, founder of Ordained Women, was uh, also recently faces a uh, counsel. And we have with us Deborah Jensen, who is a member of Ordained Women, with us. A lot of issues surrounding this, and uh, we've been giving out the email and phone number. We have this uh, tweet from Deanne. She says, I was exed in 1979 when I asked to have my name removed. Your situation seems equally bizarre. I think she's talking to you, John. Uh, let's go next to um, Jeff in Draper. Uh, Jeff uh, says, what John's talking about is legit. Our children and we are taught all along, do your genealogy and take names to the temple. What happens when a child comes to you and has discovered through historical genealogical research that a relative close to Joseph Smith actually was called an apostate and excommunicated from early church for being upset with discovered truths about said polygamy? Now in modern day, we generations have to face that reality of a historical apostate in our family and maybe discovering a first time about polygamy, a nasty, filthy affairs of Joseph Smith, prophet of God, he says, uh, people like John and podcasts can very quickly filter through so much pain and reality and help us get to love, underlined, and understanding, underlined, and being human beings to each other's and help us worry less about only true churches and truths from which, from where we judge others terribly. That's Jeff in Draper. Um, let me put this in, in this context. I've kind of wondered about this, ask you to answer it this way, John, and I'll ask everyone to be brief. So we've got a, a several emails stacked up. Um, so... Um, People like Jeff, who have discovered things and have doubts, I'm sure the church leaders would say, all right, but, but we, we want and desire and need an opportunity to put that in context, our context. In other words, uh, you know, John DeLynn might be a very good guy. He might help people in a very good way, but maybe not. And, and so it's process and it's context, isn't it, to, to help people through their doubts? It, it is. And... The, the challenge is that if you look at the past hundred years of LDS church history, the church hasn't been open and honest about its history. It's punished historians historically when they've spoken out about the problems. And it's, in many cases, limited access to its archives. 
and it it has not incorporated into its curriculum factual history. If, if you if you look at how the church depicts Joseph's translation of the Book of Mormon, it's Joseph with his head in a hat with the peepstone. And there's no, you know, that, that that's that's how we know he actually did it. The way the church portrays it is Joseph sitting down with gold plates and translating with the Urim and Thummim. It's not honest. And so, yes, yes, the ideal situation is the church is open and honest with its history and that it does its best to provide context. But it hasn't been doing that. And now it's starting to. But we have to ask, why is it starting to? It's not a coincidence that that the Internet and Google emerged 10 or 20 years ago. 20 years ago, the church would excommunicate historians that ask difficult questions. Now with the Internet, they can't do that. And so we, we're glad the church is just starting to, but it's really late in the game, and, and we hope they continue. Well, to follow up, um, what I had in my mind, and it's a good answer, was I think church leaders would say we would we would like to handle this, and we have the right to handle this in private context. They were sitting down with with the church leader, not through public forums. That, that'd be great, but but I've I've met with five six bishops, several stake presidents in my time, and they don't. You you did you know that you know you asked them? Did you know that the DNA evidence for the Book of Mormon isn't there? They don't know about it. If you tell them about Joseph's polyandry. They don't know about it. If you ask them about the Book of Abraham, they don't know about it. And so bishops aren't trained to deal with these issues or feminist issues or LGBT issues. They're just not trained. And and so, yes, that would be the ideal, but but we're not there yet. Hmm. And and I've again, I've spoken with Elder Holland. I've spoken with Marlon Jensen. They don't have good answers yet. And that's why the bishops haven't been trained, because there's no good answers yet for a lot of this stuff. So we're stuck with all of us just trying to talk about it. And I violated my own principle here by not being brief. I'll, I'll change here. <laughs> we do have several emails. This is from uh, Dina. She says, I just want to say that uh, the Mormon Stories podcasts have actually strengthened and helped me a lot in a lot of ways. I don't think being so insular and fearful of hearing anything makes us a strong people. I feel like I have moved from a naive faith to a more mature faith. I don't think women need ordained, but I do strongly feel that we need uh, a more open and honest culture in the church, all the way from wards up to the top. I hate the fear-based culture of it all. That's Sadina. I wonder, Deborah, if you have a response to that. Is is Deborah with yes. us? Yes. Yes. Oh, go I'm ahead. I'm with you. Sorry, I had uh, to unmute myself. Oh, okay. Uh, um, br- briefly, if you would. Well, I would say I think that's great. I think she's right. We need an open community. We need an open place where we can have these conversations. And once we start having these conversations and are open and honest with our history, women will learn that women were ordained in Joseph Smith's time. We see it in his papers and the minutes of the first meetings of the Relief Society. And women gave healing blessings until that authority was taken away. And if we were more open and honest with our history, probably more women would desire to have those rights and authorities restored. Uh, by the way, just a reminder for people, we uh, we have put in a request for an LDS Church spokesperson. If we get them, they'll, they'll be on tomorrow. Uh, if not, you can always refer to uh, over to KUR and Radio West's uh, interview with Allie Isom from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, next up uh, on email is Jesse in Vernal, 
He says regarding, or, or she, I guess, says regarding the conversation with John DeLynn, I appreciated his comments regarding the central core beliefs based on uh, Jesus uh, of the LDS Church. Like Mr. DeLynn, my personal spiritual journey uh, was also primarily concerned with LGBT and other social justice issues. My journey led me to resign from the LDS Church and find another faith community, which was much more accepting to me and my beliefs. My question for him is, what specifically about the Mormon Church keeps him involved instead of finding something else? Thank you, he says. Uh, I, I know that Tom wants us to be brief. I'll just say that uh, you, Mormonism doesn't wash off. It's in my bones. Uh, I'm a sixth gen- fifth generation, sixth generation Mormon. I love it. I've had so many wonderful experiences, so much good that I attribute uh, you know, in my life comes from the church. And I just want to see, and I love Mormons and I love the leaders. I love everything about Mormonism, except for the pain that it sometimes causes people. So this is an act of love and an act of faith for me to say, I want to help my church get better. Um, and if they kick me out, then, then I know they don't want me, but until they kick me out, it's an act of love for the Mormon people and for the church that I owe so much to, to say, you know, keep doing all the good things that you do well, keep doing those things. But in these areas where you hurt people, uh, please, please consider some changes that will hurt less people. That's what this is about for me. You're listening to Access Utah. We have John DeLynn on with us and Deborah Jensen. John DeLynn, founder of the blog and podcast Mormon Stories. Deborah Jensen is with Ordained Women. We're going to extend the program a bit. We'll go to StoryCorps, top of the hour, and then, of course, Zesty Garden is coming up at six minutes past the next hour because we do have emails and calls stacked up, and glad to have you with us. Uh, so we have Carl in St. George back with us. Thanks for calling back, Carl. Thanks. Uh, can you hear me? I can hear you. Go ahead. Uh, okay, good. I just wanted to say to John, amen. Amen, John, because I've always been taught that when you hear a prayer of sadness, that you should end it with amen. I just finished a four-week course that the Baptist Church put on down here in St. George. It was called Reasonable Questions about Joseph Smith and the Mormons. I went to all four of these sessions. First one started with uh, the nature of the Godhead. Second was Abraham and the questions on, on his book. But I just hear you echoing these same things, and I say, I'm really sorry, because, John, I hear a man that's trying to find answers to things that we really don't have answers to. For instance, the black man has a dark skin. The Indians have a dark skin. Chinese have slanted eyes. Why, John? Can you tell us why? Uh, so, Carl, uh, before before John answers, let me get your situation. Your what was the outcome then for you? You went to this class. Oh, and... well, the outcome was was I I was so grateful because I realized it was just a, a ruse to try to to try to down to try to run the church down the LDS church down, hoping to gain uh, people to quote come to Christ with the Baptists. And I really thought all through this. Here again, uh, they brought up that uh, the DNA issue, and we haven't found steel swords and Joseph Smith being married. You know, if if a woman was married to a man and she knew that she was going to lose her husband because she was married to him civilly, that woman could have been sealed to the prophet Joseph. But we as Gentiles in the Gentile world refer to it as marriage, and you can see how those two terms 
Joseph Smith could have had many women sealed to him, but does that mean that he was married to them? Does that mean he was cohabitating with them behind his back? No. There's a lot of these answers we don't know. I have a good friend who was on a mission down to Mexico, and we talked about this DNA and steel sores they haven't found, and there's no names on the buildings of any of these cities that would indicate that they were uh, the land of Nephi or that they were uh, uh, Zarahemla. But he says, you know, Carl, he says, you can go up on some of those hills and you can look out over that land. And he says, there's thousands, thousands of miles of jungle with mounds in them that have never even been untouched yet. They've never been excavated. And so I say to myself, well, just because we don't have the answers now, John, gee, so what? The local leaders don't have the answers. There's a lot of bishops that probably haven't even got a, been through uh, institute at the college that don't have the answers. What's wrong with saying that? Uh, Joe, we don't Carl, have the answers Carl, to we'll, a lot of these things. Well, we'll have to cut you off there. I think we got your got your point. Thank okay. you for, so much for calling. We we would let you go on longer, but we have uh, calls stacked up. So appreciate your call. Uh, okay. Thanks, Carl. Uh, your could response. I, could I just make one more quick uh, comment? Oh, okay, please? brief, briefly. Okay, this is to Deborah. The big issue, it sounds like, is they keep saying, why don't you go to the Lord and ask? Why uh, ask if we can hold a priesthood? Well, all I have to say is, guess what, folks? The brethren have gone to the Lord and asked, and the answer was no, and that's the way it's going to stand. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Carl. Bye-bye. Appreciate that. Uh, John, your brief response. Oh, I, I, I respect Carl's faith, and I, I respect his hope that someday they'll find uh, the things that they're looking for. I think that it's important still to have this conversation now. Uh, the fact that the you know we have the Book of Abraham, we have Egyptologists who have translated it. It has nothing to do with Abraham at all. Uh, I, I could go on and list many. And, and as far as polygamy, uh, are are we to question that that sex was part of polygamy? I mean, how many prophets had how many children with how many wives? Why should we think that in some certain cases it, it was special or different? Certainly, polygamy and sex are tied together because of all the children that came from polygamous marriages. And I, I just think that it's, you know, the fact that Joseph lied about polygamy, the fact that he married other people's uh, wives, the fact that he denied it up until his death and that it was the main reason he was killed, we need to understand that because we call him a martyr. We say he was his blood was shed. But the truth is he, he denied polygamy. A member of the First Presidency came out with a newspaper article saying he's lying about polygamy, and he destroyed the printing press that that came out with that article. Like, that's violating our nation's laws of freedom of speech. And it's not that I'm here to trash Joseph Smith. I'm just saying let's understand it better and have a knowledge of, of what's going on. And then we can decide how we want to believe, but let's base our beliefs on facts, not on a limited set of facts or on misunderstandings. That's all I'm saying. This uh, next uh, email is from Georgia. She says, To Deborah, when the leaders of the church say no to ordination, why don't you listen? Look at Elder Oaks' talk. He says no. Also, what about women who don't want to be ordained? You're a very small percentage of the population. Uh, What's your response, Deborah? Well, my response, first of all, would be um, up until less than 40 years ago, the answer to a racially segregated priesthood and to ordaining all worthy adult men was no. So the idea that this is a gospel that grows and that revelation continues as 
the Lord's people are ready for it, would say they may have said no 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 100 years ago. But that doesn't mean that once we as a people become ready for it, that they will say no tomorrow. And I found it. Did you have someone? Uh, what's the word? Room? It was difficult for people to direct me to Elder Oaks' talk because he delivered a talk regarding the relationship women have to priesthood in this church at a meeting that women were not allowed to attend. I did not hear him give that talk live because I was standing outside in line asking faithfully to attend a meeting and hear from my leaders. Elder Oaks' talk discusses women's relationship to the priesthood and in no way do we interpret it as a no. In fact, he opened some doors discussing women having priesthood authority bestowed upon them, just not the keys, to use very Mormon terms. And so Elder Oaks' talk was not a no. Um, and again, as I said earlier, to address George's third question would be, a small percentage of women want to be ordained right now when asked the specific polling question. If we were open and honest with our history and all the women in this church knew that they were a part of a long line of women who had been ordained, who had the authority to give healing blessings, perhaps those minds would change, those hearts would change. And uh, we are uh, we're, we're out of time. We have uh, three more uh, comments on uh, on email. We'll get those on our website. That's how we'll get those out to people. Uh, just a reminder that we do have a call into the LDS Church. If we do get a spokesman, we'll have them on tomorrow. Uh, just in case we don't, I'll refer you to uh, KUR and their Radio West interview from Tuesday with Ali Isom from the LDS Church. In the meantime, John DeLynn, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, Tom. It's my pleasure. And Deborah Jensen, thanks. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. StoryCorps is next, and uh, following is The Zesty Garden with Brian Earle. Hope you'll stay tuned. Utah Public Radio presents StoryCorps, an oral history project in conjunction with the National Library of Congress, recorded in May of 2013 in St. George. Keith Bowman came to St. George to support a friend competing in the Ironman competition. While in town, he looked up his buddy from a much earlier chapter in his life. The StoryCorps recording booth was located just a few hundred yards from the finish line of the Ironman competition. Both men are public radio listeners and were familiar with StoryCorps, but when they walked up to the recording booth that day, neither were planning to participate in an interview. One thing led to another, and within minutes, they impulsively jumped into the booth and had an unexpected conversation. I'm here with my college roommate and best friend from 40 years ago. Our lives um, were intimately entwined for so many years, and then they just sort of went separate directions. Uh, my name is Keith Bowman. I'm 63 years of age. I'm trying to re recall you know, what our, our very first meeting might have been. I think we joined the Sigma Chi fraternity at the same time. This was in uh, UC Santa Barbara, so we would have been in the same pledge class. My name is Peter Mills. We're both children of the 60s, you might say. I grew up in the Bay Area, right in the midst of the whole hippie movement. I mean, I was never really actively a part of that, but when you grow up with that around you and you see your friends getting drafted to go to Vietnam and 